And in the fab shop, I, I came across some very large diameter high strength bolts that had deep, wide cracks in the head. And I thought that can't be right. Uh, we're gonna have something break. So I took those bolts into my chief engineer, my boss, and said, look at these bolts, these can't be good. And uh, after investigating that, he said, you know what, they meet the standards. Kiora, I'm Troy, here as CEO, and welcome to Stirring the Pot. Thanks for connecting. If you're new, here's what you can expect. We're going to be talking the tough stuff, the things that keep us metalheads up at night. There are many challenges facing our industry and equally many opinions on how we should tackle them. Stirring the Pot provides a facilitated forum to discuss and challenge these viewpoints. Okay, welcome everyone uh, to our podcast on bolting. Uh, our guests today uh, are Bruce Cannon from Weld Australia, John Gardner from uh, Australian Steel Institute, uh, myself from uh, Hira in New Zealand, Mikhail Karpenko, and Bob Shaw from SSTC in US. Uh, Bob is our guest today. He has a large experience in uh, steel construction, more than 40 years in, uh, in, 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 uh, as a consulting engineer in steel construction. Uh, he, he has been involved in a large number of projects. Uh, he, he, he used to work for, for uh, American Institute of Steel Construction and for one of the major steel fabricators in the US. Bob is a member of a variety of committees, including American Welding Society, uh, AWS D1.1 committee. He is the chairman of the International Institute of Welding Commission 18 on quality management in welding. Uh, he's uh, a member of a number of ISO standards and com com committees. And uh, he has also been uh, to Australia and New Zealand on a regular basis. Bob, I, I recorded uh, you have been to New Zealand in 2012, 2013, and 15, and you have been probably more times in uh, Australia with your seminars and presentations. Can you uh, talk about yourself a little bit and uh, let us let us know how you got involved in uh, steel construction? Well, thank you, Michael. Uh, it's it's a long story, but we're going to keep it short here. Uh, Actually, I've been in steel construction for 47 years. I started while I was still in college working for a fabricator for a summer job. And uh, once I started with them, uh, part of our formal training was to work in the fabrication shop and work on job sites and get some real hands-on experience. And in the fab shop, I, I came across some very large diameter high-strength bolts that had deep, wide cracks in the head. And I thought that can't be right. Uh, we're going to have something break. So I took those bolts into my chief engineer, my boss, and said, look at these bolts. These can't be good. And uh, after investigating that, he said, you know what? They meet the standards. And ever since then, I've been kind of intrigued by bolts and how they can put out such garbage bolts and still get by with it. The standards have since changed, by the way. Uh, so I, I've always been a fan of bolting and welding, obviously. Uh, the... Uh, when I joined AISC, I was from the fabrication side, and so I did a lot of uh, training on fabrication, including bolting and welding. When I later became a consultant, then I did a lot of uh, training and uh, consulting on bolting issues, including doing a, a two-and-a-half-day course for the Federal Highway Administration 
and I I do quite a bit of consulting on bolting uh, globally today. Oh, thanks, Bob. Um, what makes structural steel bolting so important? We we know quite a lot about uh, welding. Uh, we have a number of quality management systems related to welding, like ISO 3834 is widely used. Why bolting is so important? Why do we need to think about bolting? Hasn't been resolved for quite a while. I think there's this presumption that bolting is easy and that all you have to do is tighten the bolt and you're going to be fine. But that's not really the case. Uh, bolting is essential for structural integrity. You need proper design to begin with. You need good fabrication of the connected parts. You need good installation. You need good inspection. If any of those elements fail, uh, bad design, uh, bad hole making, uh, an improper fang surface, uh, improperly installed, then you've really put the structure's performance at risk. And so through experience, we've learned that if you don't do it correctly, if you don't design it correctly, then there can be some bad performance out of those steel structures. So it's it hasn't got all the attention that welding has. There aren't a lot of certification programs out there yet, uh, but I think there's more recognition with some of the more sophisticated bolting methods, some of the more sophisticated tooling, some of the more complex designs we're seeing. And uh, I, think, I think we're going to see that coming in the future, near future. One, one of the questions that um, I have in terms of what can go wrong with bolting is particularly when uh, people uh, like to weld bolts. Um, I've seen over a period of time, engineers come by and say, this bolt's not long enough. I want to uh, make it longer by welding an extension to it. Um, my experience with bolting is that the, the chemistry of the bolts is so wide, they're clearly not designed for welding, particularly in relation to um, high strength bolts, which are actually quench and tempered in manufacture. Have you got any comments in that respect? Well, you're absolutely right, Bruce. Uh, I I'm consulting on a project now that's in the planning stages and the fabricator wanted to weld the nuts to the steel to serve as a inside uh, restraint for the bolts. And I said, no, that's not a good idea. Uh, bolts, nuts, even washers, they're hardened material, they're quenched and tempered. And if they're not quenched and tempered, uh, they're going to be a very high, carb very high carbon level. And so it's really never a good idea. And there are some alternative methods to retain a nut, as an example, to uh, keep it in place that a bolt can be installed from the outside. Bob, in our part of the world, 8.8 uh, .8, uh, bolts are probably one of the standard uh, bolt grades that are being used. 10.9 uh, sort of getting more popular, but I don't think they're as widely used as 8.8 .8 bolts. What do you consider as the latest innovation in, in terms of bolt materials and, and bolt grades in, 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 in the US? Uh, maybe maybe you, 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 you can comment on uh, installation techniques as well. Well, 8.8 or our version of 8325 uh, has been around a long time and it's not very often that we have problems with those. Uh, however, we've been using A490, which is a grade 10.9 volt, for decades. We had 
some problems many years ago uh, with delayed fracture from hydrogen embrittlement, even on black bolts. And it was realized that those bolts were actually far out of specification. Uh, they were extremely hard, well beyond the standards. And so the standards were changed decades ago to reduce the maximum permissible hardness. And we've had good results ever since. So I think there's plenty of fear on, on using 10.9s based upon some very old experience that the standards have now addressed. Uh, I believe that you do like to use galvanized bolts. And when you galvanize a, a hard bolt, like a grade 10.9, there are some risks. Uh, it is commonly done in places like Japan and in Europe, and they have some more specialized processes and controls in place than many people do. In fact, in the US, uh, we don't hot dip galvanize uh, grade 10.9s, but we have other coding systems in place for 10.9s that do not raise the problem of internal hydrogen or brittlement. Uh, those can be some of the zinc aluminum dip spin coatings. Uh, a mechanical galvanizing process is another one that uh, can be used uh, with a little bit better results. Uh, there are other coatings that allow people to use 10.9s even in corrosive atmospheres. If we go around the world, uh, if you're in Japan, you might actually run into some grade 12.9s that are hot dip galvanized using some of their bridge structures. And they also have a grade 14.9, and we have a US standard for those bolts as well, uh, that have controlled applications where they're not exposed to the elements, they can be used inside a building. So there are all sorts of new strengths out there and new coatings out there to make uh, more economical selections than putting in a whole bunch of 8.8s. Uh, to, uh, to tie in with that, there are a lot of other bolting systems uh, rather than just your standard uh, hex bolts and hex nuts. There are uh, bolts with splines on the end, and uh, the splines are uh, used to tighten the bolt from one side with an electric wrench, and the presumption is when the spline comes off, the bolt is tight. That's not always true, and that'll be something that we talk about in, in the uh, e-course. Uh, there's also a spline drive bolt where the spline is not designed to come off, but it's used as an installation tool. Uh, there are uh, other sorts of innovative wrenches to get in difficult locations and to control how much uh, torque you use to apply snug, and then you flip a switch and you control the rotation for a part turn method with a controlled uh, snug condition. There's a lot of advancements being made in not only the bolts, but also in tooling and coating. Bob, I wonder if you'd make some comments around uh, in the U your US experience around who's involved in, uh, in structural steel bolting and the responsibilities of different parties, for example, engineers, installers, and inspectors. The engineers design the connections, but they rarely have any direct involvement in the actual installation or the inspection. They rely upon our codes to specify the type of inspection that's to be done. Uh, the AISC specifications have very specific tables about the multitude of things that should be looked at as a part of a bolting inspection, and that's heavily relied upon in the industry. Uh, the installers uh, 
sometimes have formal training if they're a union iron worker, as we would call that, or perhaps a steel worker there. Uh, they normally go through a couple of years of apprenticeship and they learn how to install bolts properly. If they're not uh, part of a union, then they may have training through some other form of organization. There really isn't a certified bolting program. There isn't a certified bolting supervisor program. Uh, the only thing we have are certifications for bolting inspectors uh, run through our International Code Council, which is a building code group, as well as actually a supplemental examination uh, for certified welding inspectors given by the American Welding Society. So there aren't a lot of certification programs in existence yet for bolting, but we are headed in that direction, I believe. Bob, what's... Um skills are required to supervise or survey or inspect um, a bolting operation. Certainly in Australia and New Zealand, we have um, uh, training schemes for welding supervisors, welding inspectors and welders and the like, but it's very sparse when it comes to um, anybody involved on, on bolting. And, and there is a, a dire need for people in this area with the right skill sets. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I don't want to say that specifically about your area, but I'd say that's a global problem. Uh, we had some interesting discussions in an ISO meeting a few years back with the UK as they were developing a bolting supervisor program. And uh, we shared some information with them. Uh, we actually developed a draft for use in the US. Uh, however, that's not gone anywhere. That's kind of the next step in some standards development. Uh, in, the Canadian Institute of Steel Construction did ask that I work with them to prepare a uh, bolting supervisor program specifically for their bridge uh, side, as well as some of the U.S. bridge people are interested in that program. So I think people are now recognizing that there's a lot more sophistication to bolting connections than there used to be in the old days when basically they used impact wrenches and the turn of that method and that was about all they did. Uh, they're very much more concerned about uh, quality, about getting it done correctly, minimizing problems and disputes and broken bolts and making sure that the tensions in the bolts are, are properly achieved. So I think this is something that obviously you're interested in there, but I think it gaining uh, in a global sense. Uh, Bob, uh, our standard Australian and New Zealand standard AS and ZS 5131 uh, calls for competent people to be involved in, in bolt installation and inspection. However, it doesn't define requirements for qualification of, uh, of these people, of this personnel. Uh, now, your company, SSTC, uh, Weld Australia, Australian Steel Institute, and here I, we come together to develop a comprehensive training course uh, for people involved in, in bolting, specifically for uh, engineers who supervise uh, uh, site erection, for installers, and for inspectors. Um, can you uh, take us uh, through some details of this course? Because you're going to be the main uh, trainer on the course and uh, you are developing materials for this course. Uh, can you uh, explain the structure of the course and uh, also some key aspects of the training? 
good question, complicated question, uh, but we'll do our best here. So to supervise, you have to know virtually everything. Uh, you don't need to know how to design connections as an engineer, but somebody is designing connections as an engineer. And we won't be talking about you know, how to run a calculation to figure out if you need six volts or eight volts or 10 volts. That's not what we're doing here. But we'll be talking about the aspects of construction that relate to the engineering side. So is it, does it need to be a friction type? Can it be a bearing type, fully tensioned? Can it be a bearing type, snug type? Those are three major decisions that an engineer has to do. And there's some provisions in the codes that address that. But that's the, the first thing that has to be known. And that's actually in part one on voltage connections. Uh, we'll start off in part one talking about different types of voltage connections. And then we'll talk about the types of voltage joints. And then we'll address things that are very important, like the connection surface, what we call the fang surface, whether it needs to be bare, glass cleaned, milk, clean mill scale. Uh, if you can put a coating on it, what kind of limitations you have uh, on the coatings uh, and that because that affects your friction resistance, but it also can affect the potential loss of tension in the bolt if you have certain types of coatings and depending upon thickness. And then we'll also talk about the hole type. If you have the wrong fabrication of a hole, you might be inducing fracture potentials, uh, especially in fatigue applications. You need to have it the right size because it may need to move. Uh, that you uh, don't want to have it too large. So there are some restrictions on the method that might be used for fabricating bolts. All that's covered in part one, and we have five parts here. Uh, the second part's on bolting materials. Uh, there are not only AS1252 uh, high-strength bolts that are used, but there's a new standard, a European standard, which is referenced, uh, which is the EN14399 series. And they have uh, actually 10 different standards in that series. And those could be used as well. And I, I think it would be important because this, these are used internationally uh, that there's some familiarity uh, amongst the engineers about what those particular bolts might be. Uh, also, because of concerns of quality of the bolts and the nuts and the washers, uh, we're going to talk about the testing done by the manufacturers of the bolting components. And that will also help engineers and others know what verification testing might be appropriate if there's doubt about the quality of those bolting components. And then finally, how to identify the product, uh, labeling of the, of the product, and how to track down who made it, how to know what grade it is, and things along this line. That's our first two parts. Uh, the third part deals now with the assembly. Uh, we'll look at First, before we actually start installing the bolts, how to do field testing. They uh, may have passed the tests at the manufacturing plant but because of poor storage or things along this line, or there just might be doubt. Uh, by the time it gets to the job site, things may have been mixed up. 
there are methods to verify that the assembly is going to work. If you've had uh, rust start to accumulate because of poor packaging or poor storage, you can make sure that it will still work properly as an assembly. There's a couple of tests we'll talk about that. Also making sure that uh, you'll have the ability of the bolt to actually exceed its required pretension or rotation if you're doing a part turn method to make sure you're not going to be breaking bolts uh, prematurely. Uh, in part three, we'll also talk about the torque tension relationship, which is not a very good relationship. Uh, people have relied upon torque for insulation and inspection forever, it seems. And it's one of the most inconsistent uh, methods for installation and especially for an inspection. So we're going to discuss the variables that are involved in that. And since I mentioned things getting rusty and adversely affecting bolts, we'll talk about how to properly store bolts and what affects different exposure. I'm sorry. Uh, we'll talk about what affects different uh, environmental conditions may have upon the condition of the bolts and their ability to perform. That's part three. This is, I said it's a complicated and a long answer. Uh, part four will be the actual installation. And we'll talk about the uh, snug tight condition first. Because if you don't bring your joint together into the snug tight condition, then none of your pretensioning or fully tensioning methods are going to work for you. And so we have to make sure that it's properly snugged up before uh, tensioning begins. And then we'll talk about the specifics of uh, the part turn method and the direct tension indicator. But as I mentioned, there's a whole bunch of special products that are available uh, that are beyond just the standard hex bolt and nut. Uh, the twist off bolt, the uh, spline drive that doesn't twist off, uh, squirter direct tension indicators, as opposed to those where you really pay attention to gaps, uh, what we commonly call a huck bolt. Uh, the higher strength bolts, there's uh, special wrenches. A lot of electric wrenches are in use now, replacing the uh, pneumatic or air wrenches, impact wrenches. Uh, they have different features. Uh, I'm even seeing a lot of battery electric wrenches being used on job sites today. So we'll look at a lot of those uh, new opportunities for bolting that can reduce costs and make things more efficient and also more reliable. That'll take us through part four. And then uh, part five, the last uh, part of the e-course other than the question and answer, which is really part six, uh, we'll talk about what kind of inspection should be performed and what the requirements are in 5131, uh, quality management systems that could be put in play, uh, physical inspections, what you observe as an inspector, and so forth. But then there's always going to be disputes. I shouldn't say always going to be disputes. If you have a good inspection plan and that's implemented, you rarely have disputes. But if you're, say, still relying upon torque, you frequently have disputes and how to resolve that. Uh, Bruce asked a question about problems with bolts, uh, bolts breaking. And so we'll talk about why bolts break and what to look at at those broken bolts, looking for things like thread stripping, the fracture surfaces and getting clues 
about how to determine the probable cause for that bolt breaking. Uh, personally, I do a lot of interviews of installers and inspectors uh, to find out what they did and see if they were actually following the procedures and if they understood those correctly. So how you can resolve disputes and determine why bolts may have broken and then what you do about that. Then the last thing is actually going back to one of the earlier questions, uh, bolting personnel qualification programs for your supervisors, for your installers, and for your inspectors, uh, for your engineers, and how you start to put those things into place. So that's a long list. We've got a lot of things in the e-course. We have a total of 10 hours of discussion uh, between those five sessions plus two more hours of question and answer available, and then an examination also. But that's something that you're going to talk about, I hope. Bob, can you, can you please tell us uh, what is involved in achieving certificate in structural steel bolting? As you know, we will offer a joint certificate, Weld Australia, uh, ASI, and HERA. Um, and it will be a quiz associated with this uh, certificate. Uh, can you tell us more about uh, how it will be structured and how this examination will be conducted? Well, since I've been given the task of writing the question bank, uh, it'll be multiple choice, uh, which is, uh, I think, the most efficient way to determine someone's knowledge. Uh, they will be from topics from anywhere in those 10 hours that we talked about, uh, pretty much scattered throughout the entire five series of uh, e-course topics. Uh, they, uh, there won't be any requirement to physically measure or test or install a bolt. That's just not feasible at this point to do this in the examination. Uh, maybe somewhere down the road, certainly for bolting supervisors, bolting installers, and even bolting inspectors, uh, there should be some form of a hands-on test uh, that they can demonstrate the application of the tools, use of the tools, use of a bolt type, use of a inspection wrench if, if possible. I believe the plan is to have the examination as open book. I think most of the questions will be from that where you need open book resources would be from uh, ASNZS 5131 because that's common to both Australia and New Zealand. Uh, there are some many things that are actually common to both Australian and New Zealand standards and we'll draw a few questions that have common answers between the two codes so you could have either code with you during the examination. Uh, and as I mentioned there won't be any connection design as such. No calculations for how many volts you need, but there may be a calculation on determining a required torque. You know, you'll be looking up things in tables to know how much uh, tension might be required in a particular size and diameter bolt and things along. Thank you, Bob. I just would like to remind our listeners about some key dates for this course. Uh, part one will start on 3rd of November 2020 and we will start at 10 a.m. Uh, Sydney time and uh, 12 p.m. noon New Zealand time. Part two will be on 10th of November, part 3 on 17th of November, part 4 on 24th of November, and part 5 on 1st of December. Then we will have a Q&A session, extended Q&A session with Bob on 8th of December, and examination, which is optional, will be on 15th of December. 
to register for this course, please follow the link below. Uh, places are limited and they will be allocated on first come, first served basis. Uh, please go on our webpage. The course is information is available on Weld Australia, ASI, and here are web pages. Um, please register now. Uh, Bruce, uh, John, Bob, thank you very much for being part of this panel discussion. Uh, I know we have various degrees of uh, lockdowns. We certainly under level three in Auckland, so we work from home offices. Uh, I hope guys you stay safe and and uh, keep healthy. Uh, we will see you online and we will see you at the course.